0: Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the Sunshine Cinema Show. Please take your seats as the feature presentation is about to begin. Well, hello there.
1: I'm Marcus. And it is my absolute pleasure to welcome you... ...to a little old show I like to call The Sunshine Cinema Show. And here with me to share his film knowledge... ...like a gap-toothed pumpkin shares his moonshine... ...it's Mr Nick Chaffee. <laughs> Hello. Now, I'm delighted to reveal exclusively here on the show... ...that Nick is currently working on a film adaptation... ...of a classic play by Tennessee Williams... Set in New Orleans, about a woman tormented by her brother-in-law, a perverted neighbor of the Griffins. It's something he's calling a streetcar named Quagmire. Giggity. I think I'm
2: I'm going to put my foot down and say no more Family Guy references on this program, please. Thank you.
1: So you want film reviews? Yeah, of course you want film reviews. Well, we've got two crackers for you. First up. Currently showing at the cinema is Tarantino's Once Upon a Time in Hollywood, where a fading star and his stunt double, whose rambling exploits in late 60s Hollywood, run into a real life tragedy. I've also got five mystery films for you to try and identify in the Take Five movie quiz. And if you're considering a film to rent, then the new Hellboy is available based on the graphic novels by Mike Mignola, Hellboy Battles, an Ancient Sorceress, Hellbent on Revenge. If you'd like to contact the show, you can tweet us. We are at Sunshine Cinemax. Right now, though, here's Nick with the latest movie news.
2: Thanks, Marcus. So the headlines this week, Spider-Man out of Marvel Cinematic Universe after Disney split with Sony and Keanu Reeves set to return for The Matrix 4. Sony Pictures, the studio that owns the film rights to the comic book character Spider-Man, has spoken out about the split with Disney that will see the web slinger booted out of the Marvel Cinematic Universe. A statement released by Sony on Tuesday night said the company was disappointed by Disney's demand for a greater stake in the Spider-Man films and by its proposal to scale down the involvement of Marvel president Kevin Feige in the movies. Much of today's news about Spider-Man has mischaracterized recent discussions about Kevin Feige's involvement in the franchise, said the statement. We are disappointed, but respect Disney's decision not to have him continue as a lead producer of our next live-action Spider-Man film. We hope that this might change in the future, but understand that the many new responsibilities that Disney has given him, including all their newly added Marvel properties, do not allow time for him to work on IP they do not own. Kevin is terrific, and we are grateful for his help and guidance, and appreciate the path he has helped put us on, which we will continue. Sony's words presents an unusually public condemnation of the outfit whose purchase of Marvel in 2009 for $4 billion has heightened its box office dominance. Negotiations had been underway for some months between Sony and Disney over the future of the property, with Disney demanding future films be financed evenly between the two studios and faggy Act as consultant-producer. However, Sony wanted to stick to existing terms, which entitled Marvel to 5% of first-dollar gross and all merchandising revenue, with the rest going to Sony. The exact financing ratio is unknown." Disney then queried the debt for Feige's involvement given the super producers attachment to other Marvel properties including the new streaming channel Disney Plus which launches in November Feige has been closely associated with the Avengers series since the release of Iron Man in 2008 and has been widely credited with satisfying the franchise's devoted fans alongside Disney's desire for awards and critical recognition. Black Panther became the first superhero film to win a Best Picture Oscar nomination in 2018 and last month Avengers Endgame overtook Avatar as the highest grossing film of all time Overall Feige's films have taken in nearly 20 20- billion worldwide. Earlier this week, the latest in the Spider-Man series, Far From Home, deposed Skyfall as Sony's biggest film ever at the global box office. Two further films starring Tom Holland are said to be in the works. In 2015, Marvel and Sony brokered their rights-sharing arrangements. That would mean Spider-Man could appear in Avengers movies and vice versa. The split therefore presents a substantial plotting headache for both companies as Holland's Spider-Man has appeared in five Marvel Cinematic Universe films to date and Far From Home teed up the next major Avengers storyline. The series now also faces substantial major character holes after Endgame saw the departure from the series of many of its key figures.
1: Oh, what a complex world we live in.
2: Mm.
1: Uh, as more of a superhero movie fan, how do you feel about it?
2: It's. Uh, I, I mean, sort of going over listens to Newsbrook earlier in the week, it's difficult to know uh, what is going to be happening with any Spider Man film going forward. As I said, Tom Holland is still contracted for two further movies. With this news, it's not entirely clear if he's going to be legally allowed to play the same character, if (laughs) if, if that makes sense. I I will say this, though. If if it works out a little bit better and he can still play the same uh, version of Spider-Man that we've been seeing for the last couple of years um, and then has to play him in a film that involves no uh, characters or references to the larger Marvel Cinematic Universe... Speaking personally, I think that might be a good thing because, as much as I've enjoyed the last two Spider-Man movies, they have felt a little bit too uh, dependent on on Spider-Man's relationship with um, with Iron Man, for example. If that's no longer the case, then you know potentially they can make a film that is more about him and the world that he lives in, and you know that could, I think, make for maybe a slightly more satisfying. A more, more a more, more of a Spider-Man centric story, <clears throat> rather than simply Spider-Man plus his his relationship with Iron Man.
1: Was it Tobey Maguire or Andrew Garfield who played the first Spider-Man? In Toby the, Maguire in to- the Ma- Sam Raimi films. I I enjoyed those. Yeah, but when they brought out the new ones, it was kind of like, well, no, don't talk about that. That that's that didn't happen, okay? Mm-hmm. And I felt really really cheated. Yeah. <laughs> so like anything that happens now, it's like, well. You've already told me to forget those early ones, which I enjoyed. And now you're saying, well, possibly the Tom Holland ones might not be remembered that they might be, but we just don't know what's going on. And it all comes down to money. Yes. Yes, it
2: does. Keanu Reeves is set to return to the world of The Matrix, with a fourth chapter now officially confirmed. Lana Wachowski, who created the franchise with her sister Lily, will also return as director, along with the original cast member, Carrie-Anne Moss. Many of the ideas Lily and I explored 20 years ago about our reality are even more relevant now, Wachowski said in a statement. I'm very happy to have these characters back in my life, and grateful for another chance to work with my brilliant friends. The script is co-written by Wachowski alongside the sci-fi novelist Alexander Heyman and David Mitchell not that one. This year marks the 20th anniversary of the original Matrix, which told the story of the Hacker Neo and his discovery that the world was in fact a simulated reality. It was a surprise hit, making more than $460 million worldwide and launching two sequels, The Matrix Reloaded and The Matrix Revolutions. The franchise has made uh, altogether more than $1.6 billion. Rumours of a new film have been circulating since 2017, with Michael B. Jordan then touted as a lead. And earlier this year, Lily Wachowski, who is currently working on a TV show titled Work in Progress, gave any new iteration her blessing. Like it when stories go out into the world and then come back to you in different ways, she taught on Slash Film. I mean, that's what storytelling is all about. I'm part of a bigger thing, I don't have any ownership over stuff like that, so whatever story anybody wants to tell, I can't wait to hear. I hope it's better than the original. Since the original trilogy, the Wachowskis have had a number of commercial disappointments, including Speed Racer, which was a great film, Cloud Atlas, which was a great film, and Jupiter Ascending. This summer, Reeves scored a global hit with John Wick Chapter 3 Palabellum, making more than $320 million worldwide. You will next be seen in a long-awaited Bill & Ted sequel, and sources tell Variety that the new Matrix film will start production in 2020. Hmm.
1: So the fourth film, four films, it's difficult to name four good films in a quadrilogy. Is
2: that right? Is that yes.
1: It? I mean, Toy Story done. has done, done
2: Yes, the right. yes, there we go. There
1: oh. we go. <laughs> well, no, after all, was it? <laughs> exactly, yeah, yeah. I was actually, in the back of my mind, I was thinking that uh, Indiana Jones was ruined by the, the fourth film.
2: Yeah. Um, I still haven't seen the fourth Aliens movie. Oh. Alien Resurrection.
1: Mm.
2: But I like the first three even the third one I, I thought I first <laughs> um, but yes you're right you're right when it comes to uh, quartets because I think is the proper term <laughs> yeah. um, there aren't many good ones but i, I, I I'm, I'm looking forward to this one I think when it comes to the, the world of the matrix there's, there's a lot of potential still there that um i think wasn't wasn't fully explored by the sequels Although they did sort of go into some some interesting <laughs> directions, to uh, put it mildly. Uh, we'll, we'll, we'll see what they come with. I think, worth mentioning as well, not necessarily a, a, a direct sequel to the, uh, the third one.
1: Yes. Now, this is what, what does pique my interest, is that they've got the benefit of hindsight now. So they can look back yes. and go, okay, where did we go wrong? What did people want? What did people get out of the first the success of the first one yeah let's move it in that i think that's what they'll do let's yeah. move it more in that direction
2: definitely i, I think um i think both of the chances have been sort of mindful of of that criticism over the years and yeah i think you're right i think it's be interesting to see how they uh acknowledge that when it comes to making this new one
0: in a world fraught with corruption two men united by fate torn apart by destiny Somewhere between courage and not courage, between the pharmacy and the podiatry clinic, you'll find Nick and Marcus in the Sunshine Hospital Radio Studio. Only they can bring you the Sunshine Cinema Show. Well, I'm now going
1: to furnish you with some top fives. Uh, The top five UK box office films and the top five UK film rentals. And starting at the UK box office, at number five, we have Toy Story 4.
2: As previously mentioned, oh. yeah, um, and previously reviewed on a programme, given an 8 out of 10. I think, well, as we just said, like, proof that um, great quartets are, are possible.
1: Yes. At number four, we have Dora and the Lost City of Gold.
2: Yes, this is a big screen adaptation of the uh, kids' TV series Dora the Explorer. I've heard weirdly good things about it, so mixed things... But some of them have been uh, some of the notes have been strangely good. i s I've saw the trailer and it I, I guess in terms of tone it sort of feels more like the Lego movie than uh, uh I don't know, something else that's uh, that's comparable. I find it interesting that it's uh, directed by James Bobbin, who previously directed the, the Paddington movies, which as we know were amazing. <laughs> so I'm um, I'm 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 curious about this one.
1: And for fans of Dora, you'll be pleased to know it does feature Boots the Monkey. Yes. Important piece of information. Mm-hmm. At number three in the UK box office, we have Fast and Furious, Hobbs and Shaw.
2: Yes, which we reviewed on the program last time. I forgot to bring up the uh, the score spreadsheet. So we gave us a four, I believe, didn't we? I think so. Let me see if it loads up. Anyway, I mean, it was one of those films where if you have, uh, uh, oh, no, it was a five. Was it five out of ten? It was. It was. Uh, I liked bits of it. Speaking as someone who has enjoyed all of the previous Fast and Furious movies, uh, it just felt like a bit too much <laughs> as a whole.
1: Yeah. yeah. Gen- generally speaking, you can go into it, turn your brain off and let it wash over you.
2: It's, yeah. Or,
1: or not so much wash it, you, crash over you, <laughs> 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 repeatedly, in the face. At <laughs> number two, we have The Lion King.
2: Yep, also previously reviewed on the programme, given a, uh, a 4 uh, out of 10... Uh, which I, I think is all that we need to know. Mm. Not that it matters, because it, it's made um, a ridiculous amount of money. Mm. Anyway, I I just found th- there wasn't anything in it that I particularly enjoyed, D- despite the the visual aspect of it, which is spectacular. <laughs> yeah. There, f- for me, there needs to be more more than that to constitute it being a, a, a worthwhile film. Mm. Unfortunately,
1: I, I don't know if I previously mentioned an awkward conversation I had with someone about this film where they said, oh, have you seen the new Lion King? I said, oh, yeah, yeah, what did you think of it? She said, oh, it's amazing. I said, oh, okay. I just can't believe what they can get animals to do these days. And there was that awkward pause where I didn't know, like, are you joking or, mm. or were they, I don't know whether they thought that it was real animals with CGI mouths mm. Oh.
2: In well, in that person's defense, Disney has been sort of um, more recently been widely describing it as a as a live action film, despite the fact <laughs> that I think this I think John Favreau said that the, the, there's one shot which is live action, the rest is completely computer generated, and I, I think that's probably tactical on their part because when the Oscars come around, mm-hmm. they want to get the easy win for Toy Story Four and not The Lion King. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, it's it's not live action.
1: If you like The Lion King, the original, stick with that, you'll enjoy it. If you want to see some amazing graphics and special effects, watch this new one.
2: Yeah, I don't know,
1: sure. (laughs) (laughs) Um, At number one, we have Once Upon a Time in Hollywood, which we will be reviewing very shortly. So let's go over to the UK film rentals chart. See if there's anything here that takes your fancy.
2: Um, At number five, we have Captain Marvel. Yes, uh, we uh, yes we have previously reviewed this one as well. Seven out of ten, I believe it was. It's fine. I, I, I think I think <laughs> I think this goes to show that it's it's not quite stuck with me like um, most of the other Marvel movies have, and I'm a big fan of them of, of them on the on the whole. But you know, Brie Larson is good. There's a couple of soundtrack choices that uh, I enjoyed. You know, some some good dialogue moments as well. Interesting villain, such as it is. That's enough. And number four,
1: we've got Hellboy 2019, which uh, we will be reviewing later on uh, in today's show. Mm -hmm. At three, Pet Cemetery.
2: Yes, I talked about this one. You you rolled
1: your eyes. (laughs) No, I was going to say, I meant to say Pet Cemetery the reboot, the remake. Oh, yes, yes. The new one. It's not a... Re-release of the original?
2: No, no, this is a, a new one which came out earlier in the year. Uh, I've talked about it on the show previously, before because I saw it in a cinema. Speaking to someone who hasn't seen the original film or read the uh, the Stephen King novel, uh, I thought this was this was okay. It's really dark, like even darker than the. Um, they've they've sort of changed the ending quite a bit to the point where it's, it's really it's a really really dark <laughs> <laughs> ending as well. And you know, if if that tickles your fancy, then yeah i I was just maybe that you maybe you want to see this one in the the run-up to it's chapter two which comes out in a couple of weeks which i'm looking forward to
1: me too uh number two it's amazing what they can get animals to do (laughs) it's dumbo
2: yes i know oh i wonder how long it took them to find an elephant with the 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 right size ears.
1: oh i just can't even begin to imagine Hmm.
2: anyway it's, it's not very good
1: no, don't bother.
2: Talked about it before. <laughs> and
1: at number one in the UK film Rental's oh. chart, we have Shazam.
2: Yes, which we also gave a 7 out of 10. And interesting, this is one that's uh, slowly climbed up on the rental charts, mm. isn't it? And I, I think it's that kind of film. It's It could be a potential word of mouth success where people go, oh, have seen... A, have you seen Shazam? Have you seen Shazam? <laughs> My God, have seen Shazam. <Shazelle>. Yeah. <laughs> Get a really West Country stank on it. It's it's good. It's a lot of fun. I think really well observed when it comes to um the depiction of uh, foster families and that sort of thing, which isn't something that you know comes up particularly often in um, uh, big uh films. So it's nice to see them stepping outside the uh, uh the well-worn territory when it comes to that. I said it's a lot of fun, didn't I? Yeah, yeah. That's good. good cast as well.
1: Well, coming up next, we uh, have our film review. Uh, A faded television actor and his stunt double strive to achieve fame and success in the film industry during the final years of Hollywood's golden age in 1969 Los Angeles. That's right, we're going to review Once Upon a Time in
0: Hollywood. You're listening to Nick and Marcus on the Sunshine Cinema Show. So let's give you our
1: first review on the show this afternoon, which is Once Upon a Time in Hollywood, rated 18. Quentin Tarantino's Once Upon a Time in Hollywood visits 1969 Los Angeles, where everything is changing as TV star Rick Dalton and his longtime stunt double Cliff Booth make their way around an industry they hardly recognize anymore. The ninth film from the writer-director features a large ensemble cast and multiple storylines in a tribute to the final moments of Hollywood's golden age.
0: Are
2: you some old cowboy guy that used to make movies there?
0: Whoa! <laughs> what? <laughs> i surprised how accurate that description to me really is. Some old cowboy guy that used to shoot movies and spawn Ranch. So he used to questions at the ranch back in the old timey days? Well, if by the old timey days, you mean television eight years ago. Yeah. Are
2: you mean
0: actor? No, I'm stumped.
2: Stump That's
0: way better. Why is that way better? Actors are phony. Oh. They just say lines that other people write and pretend to murder people on their stupid TV shows. Meanwhile, real people are being murdered every day in
1: Vietnam. Once Upon a Time in Hollywood was written and directed by Quentin Tarantino. Now, a man with an eye for a detail, that screenplay took him five years to perfect. The cast includes uh, Leonardo DiCaprio, Brad Pitt, Margot Robbie, Kurt Russell, Luke Perry, Dakota Fanning, and Al Pacino, amongst many, many more. Mm.
2: Luke Luke Perry's final role as well. So, um, Nick,
1: where do you begin with a new Tarantino film? I mean, the music, the dialogue, the violence...
2: Uh, let's talk about all three of those. <laughs> OK. <laughs> very quickly. Those are the three key ingredients, aren't they, I think? So, yeah, the, the soundtrack selection is is, is no perfect, um, as we heard previously on the on the show. The the quotable lines of dialogue are plentiful, and the violence is violent. But I think it's worth mentioning that it doesn't become violent until the very end, um, as you might expect, considering the, the, the source material. The, the The friend I saw this with said that this might be the the least violent film um, that Quentin Tarantino has made, besides Jackie Brown, which is a heck of a thing to say when you consider the specifics of of the violence in this film. But I I think he might be right, actually. As as has often been the case with Tarantino's more recent films, the violence is presented as a very uh, blackly comic scenario with which the audience is expected to laugh along. And, you know, there are plenty of people in in my screen that did. I did as well, admittedly. And I think that your reaction to that statement will tell you if this is a film for you or not. And understand if um, people might uh, stay away because of it. Although, it's it's worth knowing ahead of time that this story, this film, sorry, doesn't tell the story that you think it will. Uh, The story that it does tell as shaggy as it is, centres around a, a deep friendship and a, a working relationship between between Rick and Cliff as they do their best to stay afloat at a time when one era of Hollywood was coming to an end and another was beginning. I, I think this is the first time that Tarantino has focused on on a friendship in the, in this way, sort of showing how both parties need and and support each other. And you, you believe in them right from the beginning and you stay on their side Right to the end, as, as well. About midway through the film, there's a character played by Bruce Stern, who uh, clearly doesn't have that kind of support system in his life, and he, he grumpily tells Cliff, "Everyone don't need a stunt man." But the film goes to show that life is a lot easier and more enjoyable if you have one by your side. I, as I mentioned, I saw this with my my oldest friend, who. By sheer coincidence was also the person who introduced me to Tarantina's films in the first place, which kick-started me on a, a film-loving path that has directly led to me sitting here right now speaking these words. And you know, if that's an option for you, I recommend that you do the same. Uh, all of this is running parallel to the, the run-up to the uh, the murder of Sharon Tate. When it comes to the Manson family, we don't get an understanding of what their goal or Or motivations are which i know has bothered some people but on the other hand or what do we call it inglorious bar stewards um that didn't go into depth on the on the nazis goals and motivations either just sort of assume that the audience knows that these are bad people so this film sort of takes the same tact with that and i I think it's arguable that it's uh, a good thing that the film doesn't give a platform to, to Manson's ideas. Um, and I don't think they would add, add anything to the film's narrative anyway if they were explored. As a whole, the the film moves at a slow place, which um, admittedly had me, you know, even me, who quite likes slow films from time to time, it had me sort of shifting up to be in my, my seat a little bit. But every scene is in the film for a reason, and even the scenes that are arguably the least necessary, which is the, the extended looks at the, the Lancer pilots that uh, Rick films later on, which are, are filmed as if they were proper sort of Western film scenes, are probably the best part of the film, where we get we get to see Rick really shine as an actor and we realise that he does have the, uh, the, the talent necessary to um, be a, as big a star as he, as he has been. Speaking of which, this might be Leonardo DiCaprio's best performance to date. I think it's right up there with all for Wall Street. Uh, similarly, I, I don't know if this is Brad Pitt's best performance, but it's definitely, definitely the most Brad Pitt's performance and probably his best since since Inglorious as well, which I, I think proves that Quentin Tarantino really knows how to you know, what role suits him best, I think, which is something that hasn't always been been said about him as a as a performer. Uh Marco Robbie, as has been noticed elsewhere, doesn't have many lines. But that's not to say that she doesn't have a big impact on the film. Because I think sometimes we lose sight of this great acting isn't just saying dialogue. It's being present and as I said, having an impact on the scene that you're in. And she has one of the film's best scenes, really. And it's simply it's just her sitting sitting in a cinema watching the wrecking crew and seeing and and sort of appreciating how much the audience loves her performance in that. And on, honestly, it's nice to see her just, just living a life, which is something that she, you know, unfortunately did not get to uh do much of in, in, in real life. There's I mean, there's not there's not a less than great performance in the whole cast. I do want to quickly talk about uh, Mike Moe, uh, who plays Bruce Lee in the film, which has uh, led to some some discourse <laughs> around the place. Uh, it's a portrayal that has upset some of the people that knew Bruce Lee in real life, who say that this film, uh, well, and this scene, sort of portrays him as being very arrogant, which doesn't match their memory of him. And, and I understand that complaint. And I did feel... Uncomfortable myself with um, many of the people in the audience sort of laughing when he does his trademark. Um, I'm not trying to his, his, his whale. I'm, 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 tr- I'm <laughs> desperately trying not to do an impersonation, so <laughs> I sidestep that. they were sort of laughing at those moments, and I think it was sort of played for, for comedic effect. Unfortunately, but I think it's important to note that the the scene in question is a, a flashback. That could well be the unreliable memory of the character that's remembering it. Sort of the sort of imagining themselves as coming out better in a situation than perhaps they did in real life. And as such, I personally am I'm happy to give it the benefit of the doubt with regards to the portrayal of, of, of Bruce Lee. Although, admittedly, it does feel a little bit uncomfortable to see a scene like that which uh, features a real-life figure. But that's that's the conceit of the film at large.
1: Right, let's get a Sunshine Cinema score
2: for Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. It's uh, I'm going to give it an 8 out of 10. I'm, I'm reminded of how I felt after watching Us earlier in the year in that there, there were parts that I, I wish had been uh, executed a little bit more thoughtfully but that doesn't take away from the quality of the rest and despite those flaws it is still one of the best and uh, most interesting films of the year I, I'm planning to, to see it again just to see if I can sort of judge for myself how it stands with the rest of uh, Quentin Tarantino's output but I think it's safe to say he's he's done it again
1: Thank you, Nick. Well, if you're looking to rent a film, uh, stay with us because we will be reviewing Hellboy, uh, where we discover that demons have demons too. Before that, though, get ready for the Take 5 film quiz.
0: This is the Sunshine Cinema Show.
1: Right then, time for a quiz. Quiz. So then, Nick, are you ready for this week's Take 5 quiz? I am. You look ready. Thank you. So if you haven't played the Take 5 quiz before, get ready, because we're just about to, and you're very welcome to take part. I'm going to give you the taglines from five well-known movies. And all you need to do is name the films that they come from. You will score a point for each one. Now, Nick is playing along, But to make it a bit more difficult for Nick, he only scores a point if he can name the film and the year that the film was released in the UK. So, here we go, five films. Let's start with a relatively easy one. I mean, if you know the answer, they're all easy, but... Here we go, number one. You can't handle the truth. You can't handle... The truth. What's that the tagline from?
2: Hmm. Okay. I, I never realised that was that was the tagline. That was a tagline
1: that they used. Okay, number two. When she got there, she met the brute stan and the side of New Orleans she hardly knew existed. When she got there she met the brute stan, and the side of New Orleans she hardly knew existed. Film tagline number three Boy gets girl, boy loses girl, boy gets pie Boy gets girl, boy loses girl, boy gets pie Film tagline number four. The only thing greater than the power of the mind is the courage of the heart. The only thing greater than the power of the mind is the courage of the heart.
2: Mm. I'm second-guessing my guess on this one. Oh. Yeah, I've got to change my answer.
1: but now
2: I need to see if I can remember the title of the the second film I have in my head oh (laughs) I know I've got it
1: tricky and finally film tagline number five if Nancy doesn't wake up screaming she won't wake up at all if Nancy doesn't wake up screaming she won't wake up at all I think, and uh, we'll be back with the answers very shortly.
0: In a corrupt city where everyone is for sale, they're the best money can't buy. Nick and Marcus, exclusively on the Sunshine Cinema Show.
1: Okie okay, dokie, okie okay, dokie, okay, okay, here we go. <laughs> Five taglines from five well-known movies. Very excited to hear how you got on. If you want to contact us at the show, we are on Twitter, at Sunshine Cinemax. You can tweet us your answers. But let's find out how Nick got on. So Nick, what's your prediction this week?
2: Uh, Well, based on previous results, um I'm... I'm gonna say one. <laughs> wow. I think I think I've got all the films. It's just uh, the years always always throw me off.
1: That does make it trickier. Yes, mm. yes. That was my intention. Number one, you can't handle the truth.
2: Yeah. Um. Surprised to hear this. This was a tagline. Because considering it was a famous piece of famous line of dialogue, a
1: famous quote from the film.
2: Yes, which I, I thought that most people would have sort of latched onto afterwards, or not before the film came out. Uh, but the film in question is *A Few Good Men*. Correct, uh, which came out in the nineteen nineties. I'm going to say ninety four.
1: Oh. One year out, mm. nineteen ninety three. Film number two. When she got there, she let the great stand, and the side of New Orleans she hardly knew existed.
2: Yeah. It took me a while, but then I sort of remembered, and we, I think we've discussed it previously on the well, early on on the show, didn't we? It's a streetcar named Desire correct uh, which again i know came out in the 50s uh but i'm gonna guess 1959
1: well you're at the very wrong end of that decade it's 51 really okay early number three boy gets girl boy loses girl boy gets pie American.
2: american pie <laughs> <laughs> it's correct the year 1999
1: is correct yes. well done good okay you're off the mark um actually no yes yeah that is your first that's question. my first point yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um number four uh, the only thing greater than the power of the mind is the courage of the heart now you said you had two answers in mind
2: yes well i mean i first wrote down a beautiful mind okay but then um i thought about it and i th- for maybe it's something else which deals a bit more directly with romance. Okay. And so I've changed my answer to the theory of everything. Okay. You shouldn't have changed your mind. Oh, it's, it's okay. it was a beautiful mind, yes. <laughs> uh, yeah? um was early 2000s, wasn't it? 2004? Oh. No.
1: No, 2002. Yeah. And finally, if Nancy doesn't wake up screaming, she won't wake up at all.
2: That's a good tagline for this one. Uh Nightmare on Elm Street. Correct. 1985. Oh, my word. You're right. Yeah, hey. There you go. That's my first two out of five for quite some time, I think. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, not bad,
1: not bad. Two out of five, considering... Uh, how difficult this this quiz has now become for you. Mm. Uh, Yeah, you've done well. Just for that. How did you get on? Let us know. Share your score on Twitter. We are at Sunshine Cinemax. Up next, though, meet your new hero. He's got demons, and he sure knows how to race some hell. We're about to review Hellboy.
0: You're listening to Nick and Marcus on the Sunshine Cinema Show. Please remember, don't get them wet. Keep them out of bright light and never feed them after midnight.
1: Okay, are you looking for a film to rent? Well, how about Hellboy rated 15? Hellboy is back and he's on fire. From the pages of Mike Mignola's seminal work, this action-packed story sees the legendary half-demon superhero called to the English countryside to battle a trio of rampaging giants. There he discovers the Blood Queen Ninlai, a resurrected ancient sorceress thirsting to avenge a past betrayal. Suddenly caught in a clash between the supernatural and the human, Hellboy is now hell-bent on stopping Ninlai without triggering the
0: end of the world. Do you recall the Osiris Club? Oh, yes. Ship joint in Jersey. Now, the other one, the British Occult Society, formed in 1866... By the ranking members of the Heliopic Brotherhood of Ra. Ra? I met Ra once in the underworld. He's a close talker. You know, like us, they fight against the forces of darkness, and our organizations have a long standing relationship. They're old friends of mine, and they've requested your assistance with a giant problem. Well, yeah? what's that? Giants.
1: Well, Hellboy was directed by Neil Marshall. Uh, his previous directing work includes two episodes of game of thrones
2: Oi. one of them was the uh, the blackwater episode i think wasn't it it was
1: that was a, good a particularly episode. good episode mm-hmm. the film stars david harbour in the title role known to some of you like me as jim hopper from stranger things this also stars Mila Jovovich uh, ian mcshane who you heard there in the trailer and daniel day kim now this is a reboot of the hellboy film series and the third live-action film in the franchise. Right, Nick, before, uh, before we get in and start talking about the film, we should just mention that you actually worked on Hellboy, And your name's on the
0: credits.
2: Yes, Yeah, I, I worked as part of the uh, accounts team on the UK unit, where they were they were shooting some exteriors in the Wales Cathedral and uh, uh, a council flat in, in Bristol. I think I'll stick a screenshot on the Twitter page to uh, that points me out. The reason why we're bringing this up is um, I don't think my involvement will, um, will have any bearing on my review, but uh, we figure it's best to mention it anyway, just in case.
1: Thank you, Nick. And with that out of the way, what are your thoughts on the finished film?
2: It's not very good. Oh. <laughs> this is one of the choppiest movies I've, I've seen in a long time. I like choppy. I'll stick with that as a word. Working on it, I... I know for a fact that it wasn't put together quickly, but it definitely feels like it was watching it. It feels like um, like the, the Predator from Odin yeah, It feels like there's a much longer version of this film that has been cut down to its, its bare bones, um, but yeah, not enough to provide a solid, solid skeleton for the, for the story. Um, the opening prologue in particular feels very rushed, which is exactly what you, uh, you don't want at the start of the film. I think clearly cobbled together from uh, pre-existing scenes the cgi is extremely rough looking there's there's one shot involving a uh, a hanging eyeball which is just just embarrassing i i, I thought the script is clichéd um feels very familiar the jokes m- many of which feel added on later with uh, adr do do not land at all there's a bit where hellboy kicks a zombie's head off into some trees and shouts go that admittedly made me laugh but only as how how ridiculous it felt it's completely out of place with the, uh, the the tone of even the rest of the jokes to feel like they were coming from a different place as as that it felt like something they might have improvised on the set and decided to keep in it because it's it's very strange the the soundtrack is comprehensive is the word i use to a, a, a distracting degree i think it's sort of aiming for a, a guardians of the galaxy uh type thing where the songs are there to um, you know, it ma- makes use of popular uh, rock tunes to, and try to augment the moves of a scene. But in the end, it just feels like um, Suicide Squad, where they're just there to fill in the gaps of, uh, of well, of the plot. I, I think this, you know, the, the has the, bl- the bluntest possible choices for music imaginable. Because you know, why why add drama and characterisation when a, a heavy guitar riff will do instead? With regards to the cast, David Harbour, uh, he. He does his best, but he he just unfortunately can't bring much emotion to the the heavy prosthetic he's he's wearing. Not that the script will particularly let him. Nor does he have the charisma that Ron Perlman brought to the role in the Guillermo del Toro movies. I think we heard Nick It could be sort of doing like a, a Sylvester Stallone type thing, which I, I think could have worked with a a script that was less intent on focusing on the on the humour of the situation, which I, I don't think is the uh, the best way to. Uh, the, 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 the best tone to add to the source material. Uh, Ian McShane is is also in. I, w- I was worried about him to begin with because he narrates the opening prologue and sounds incredibly bored by everything that's going on. But when the main film you know, uh, starts up and you, you see that he's actually engaging with material properly, he's you know, he's clearly having fun, which is is good because I was I was worried about that at first. It's a shame he doesn't have a great deal to do, but he is he is trying. Uh, elsewhere we have uh, Sasha Lane and uh, Daniel Day Kim who have you know have been very good in 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 other stuff both American actors um, both here with I think it's fair to describe them as uh, subpar British accents I mean with with Daniel Day Kim I can kind of excuse that because he was brought on late due to uh, another actor dropping out of the role so he has an excuse at least Sasha Lane I I don't think has that really that that really should have been a, a little bit better I think Uh, It's not all bad, there are some highlights Um, I think the the sheer amount of of gore and and grimness feels very neo-martially, sort of reminiscent of his his previous work with Dog Soldiers and Descent although there's a lot about CGI as I I mentioned as well and it's at least different novel, I guess, to see that transplanted onto an otherwise generic fantasy action blockbuster The the designs of some of the demons we see right at the end show a lot of influence from the likes of H.R. Giger and Hieronymus Bosch which, again, not, not something you see often in a, a big blockbuster. I think the, the art design as a whole is great across the board as well, but it's not quite on the same level as the, again, as the Guillermo del Toro movies. And that's the biggest problem. Because I remember that this film was first announced as being a, an, an attempt to create a more faithful adaptation of the original comics. Because as enjoyable as the Guillermo del Toro movies were, they were completely different in, in terms of tone from the from the original source material. The, the comics were very, very moody, Uh, a little bit slow but not necessarily in in a bad way they were extremely dry when it it came to what little humour they had there were were fights but the the stories mostly revolved around Hellboy wandering around old ruins and and chatting with ghosts, in in short they weren't as cinematic as people might think they would, which is why perhaps it it isn't a surprise that my overall feeling on this new adaptation is that it's exactly the same as the last two movies but uh, not as fun and not as good
1: I don't know if I dare ask you this, but I will. Could you give it a Sunshine Cinema score rating?
2: Uh, I'll give it a four out of ten. Just 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 to highlight that there are some interesting aspects with the with the the art and the and and the design and the 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 gore. And you know, I'm speaking personally, believes I can't claim credit for any creative decisions. Um, And I think uh, this, this does at least prove that Neil Marshall has a distinctive, recognizable style, but better suited to maybe less mainstream productions and probably less. Studio meddling as well. I don't know if you look at the credits, there are sixteen producers listed. Wow! Which is never a good sign.
1: Well, I can honestly say, hand on heart, that of all the films I've watched recently, the accounting in this one was just marvellous. Oh, yeah!
2: Thank yeah. you, thank you.
1: <laughs> well, there you go. That's it uh, for this this week's show. Um, sadly, we have run out of time, but we do just have enough time to mention a couple of upcoming releases um, at the cinema. We've got the political thriller Official Secrets in Theatres from August the thirtieth, starring Kira Knightley, Rafe Fines, and Matt Smith.
2: Okay.
1: Uh we've also got something you mentioned earlier on, It, chapter two, uh September the sixth. Yes. It's coming out. Mm-hmm. The conclusion um to the highest grossing horror film of all time.
2: Yeah. It it did it did really well. Wow. One. i
1: I I read that and thought I'm gonna have to double check that but it's true. Mm-hmm. Amazing. And yeah, I'm thoroughly looking forward to that. Yeah, me too. Um, on the rental, uh, we've got The Hustle coming up on September the 2nd.
2: Comedy. Oh, yes, the, the remake of uh, Dirty Water Scoundrels, which we uh, looked at and decided not to <laughs> not <to review> the programme. <laughs> Maybe it's good. We don't know. Maybe we'll find out. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, Avengers Endgame as well, the uh, highest grossing movie of all time. Yes. Soon to be out on DVD and Blu ray and, and to rent as well.
1: And also to rent, um, when's this one out? Uh, September the 9th is Tolkien. Uh, the oh. Explores the formative years of uh, the author. Which one? Um, J.R. Barry?
2: Oh, so, J.R. Martin.
1: <laughs> George R.R. R. Tolkien. That's the one. <laughs> yeah, one of them guys. <laughs> <laughs> um, but yeah, so actually that, lo- that looks quite good. So oh, you
2: know what, just very quickly, also out on the, the September 9th, Long Shots, which we previously reviewed and thought was, yeah, it was okay, it was a <laughs> good way to spend a couple of hours. Indeed. <laughs> well, that's it for the
1: Sunshine Cinema Show today. Uh, thank you very much, uh, Nick, and most of all, thank you for listening. Uh, you can follow us on Twitter at Sunshine Cinemax. But until the next episode,
2: doo Bye.
0: If you missed anything in today's episode, you can hear the edited podcast online. Just search for the Sunshine Cinema Show podcast. This is a Sunshine Hospital Radio production. Get well soon.